Hello and welcome everyone to another live session. My name is Andrew Krauss. I co-founded InventRight 20 years ago with Stephen Key, and we've been coaching and mentoring inventors for the last 20 years, very successfully, had students in over 65 countries. So I want to welcome you to this chat and remind everybody that we're doing a whole hour of Q&A on licensing. So um, type your questions into the chat. Uh, we can. We always have too many. We can never get to all the questions. And I'm going to answer your questions. Um, I have a lapel mic, a new lapel mic on here, just down below. I'm going next week. I'm going to have a different mic. So let me know if I sound good. Um, just say yes. Type a quick yes in there. Not everybody has to do it. A few of you, if you can hear me, okay. Um, if you can hear me, somebody type yes, you can hear me. I'll wait for that. Hmm. Not getting anybody typing yes. Can you guys type yes into the chat if you can hear me okay? Okay, good. All right, excellent. I don't want to sit there and talk for an hour. and then Why did everybody leave? Nobody hears me. Uh, okay, so let's jump in. Um, this is going to be great. Fantastic. All right. So uh, Judah says, I'm at the point of inventing something with, oh, and by the way, um, when you type your question in, since a lot of you have different handles, just type your first name, Bob, Sally, whatever it is, so I can address you by your first name and not some sort of silly handle. But if you don't, then I'll just address you by your handle. So no worries either way. Um, you don't have to type your last name. Don't worry about that. And um, I want a little disclaimer at the beginning here. Anything that we talk about um, is not to be, to be considered legal advice. Please see the circus, seek the services of an attorney if you're looking for legal advice before you move forward on anything. And um, so just wanted to say that. Uh, also, don't disclose anything private about your idea in the chat. Um, don't, don't do that either. So with most of these questions, I can answer the question um, and everybody else benefits from it as well because uh, so, but if you ask a super, super specific question that haven't seen your product, you know, I'll, I'll have to answer somehow generically because I want everybody to benefit from the answers. So let's get going guys. Uh, Judah says I'm joining, uh, I'm, I am joint venturing something with a friend and advice, question mark, thoughts on joint invention agreement. Any legal concerns, question mark, general comments would be appreciated. Love these sessions. Thank you. And all bunch of exclamation marks. Thank you, Judah. Um, so let's talk generally about partnering with different people when you're licensing. Um, not talking about the company you sell your idea to, but partnering with a family member or a friend or a friend of the family or a longtime friend. Um, Usually when you get two inventors together, it's a recipe for, I'm speaking generically, I'm giving you my thoughts having done this for 20 years. So usually we get two inventors together, it's a recipe for disaster because they're two creative people. And if you don't have different skill sets, what's the point? So if you're both hyper creative, but both terrified of making a phone call or both sucky at engineering or doing prototypes or things like that, you know, what's the point if you don't have slightly different skill sets? Now, I think it's fine if you just really enjoy working on things together and you both have the exact same skill set, you can still do that. I'm not saying you don't do that. But 
Um, sometimes inventors, they get together with other people because they just want to dump all the work on somebody else. And hey, if you know somebody that is willing to do a bunch of stuff that you don't want to do, uh, great. But you got to talk to the other person about what are you going to do? What am I going to do? And you got to divide those tasks. And when you don't understand what's required to license a product, you don't even know what those tasks are. That's kind of hard to do. So be careful who you partner with, because if you end up doing 90 percent of the work and they're doing like next to no work, that wasn't that's that's on you. Um, you didn't properly vet them. I've also talked to people that um, the person is a great person. Great. You know them in your personal life and they're a great person. But when it came to taking action in business, they were like a whole different person. It's like, who is this person? I thought they were going to be so reliable and get stuff done. And they totally weren't. So sometimes people can really change their stripes or show their true stripes. And they're a different person in their personal life than their business life. So my best advice there is when you decide you want to partner with another inventor or a friend of the family or your friend is give them something to do, something little to do. And you tell them it's easy and you tell them it's really important and you give them a deadline. And if they can't do that, well, you know, they're going to fail miserably with everything else. So I highly recommend anybody that you decide to work on your inventions with and partner with, I'm not talking about the companies you license to, but friends, family, um, that you test them. And if they fail miserably at something so simple and they can't make the deadline and you tell them it's really important to you, test them. Because most people will fail. Most people you don't want to start a partnership with. But, um, and so that's just one little piece of advice. Um, you know, and so if you're going to partner with somebody to work on licensing your product, you got to decide, like, are we each going to share in half of the royalties? What's the split? What's the workload? All that sort of thing. You need to have some sort of agreement, you know, on, on who's going to do what. Um, so, Judah, that was your question. Uh, basically, to summarize, figure out who's going to provide value, who's going to do different things. First, understand the licensing process and then understand who's going to do different roles, not just somebody that's supportive and says your idea is great. That's not enough. Because with licensing, it's one thousandth the work of running a business, but there's still a bunch of things that need to be done. So you need to know what those things are, and then you need to decide who's going to do what. Okay. So um, any legal concerns? Yeah, of course there is. You know, you gotta you gotta figure out. You know, one person came up with the idea. Who owns the provisional or the patent? How would they get compensated with royalties? You gotta. You should figure all that stuff out front. Definitely. And, you know, by watching the YouTube show, or I always tell people when they're a student of ours, you might be realistic on what licensing is and how it works, but the person that you're talking to doesn't think that a 5 or an 8% royalty is reasonable, you know, and they're like, oh, my God, like, oh, no, we got to get 50% royalty. And it's like, dude, they might only have 20% profit margin in it, and they're giving you 8%, and they're doing all the work and taking all the risk. So you need to also determine if the person coming on board with you is totally clueless as far as licensing. Then you explain how licensing works to them. And if they're still unrealistic, you don't want to partner with them. You know, So you need to educate this other person you're going to work with 
um, and, and maybe just sending them to our YouTube show and go watch these guys for a while. And if they don't want to take three or four hours to watch our YouTube show to get in the know about licensing, well, are they going to do the work? And so, you know, uh, most of the time, to be honest with you, another inventor is exactly like the worst person in the world to be your partner because they're always more excited about their idea than yours. So if they're an inventor, you're an inventor, and you're saying you want to work on your project first, and you're not going to be working on their project for like eight months, you got to talk about that. Um, but if everybody's realistic and, and, and uh, understands what's involved, then it's fine, you know. Um, Saeed, uh, hi Andrew, how should the manufacturing methods be added to the PPA? Okay, so in a provisional patent, you're covering what the invention is, the functionality and the utility of the invention. It was a hinge over here and it has this functionality, but you can go beyond that. Most people don't, but with certain products, you can go beyond that and include the method of manufacturing. So if you got familiar, you could watch a YouTube video, you can use other methods, and you understand how toilet paper is made, right? And by watching a YouTube video, and in your provisional patent, you're saying, okay, at this step in the manufacturing process, it's going to put a stamp on here, it's going to do that, this or that. So you can talk about the method of manufacturing. It's called a method of manufacturing patent. That's just the way you refer to it. It's actually a utility patent, just like any other. But you're using, you're including methods of manufacturing. Most of the time, that's not necessary. When you can do it, it can be very beneficial. But it requires a good deal of research and understanding of how they're going to make this product, which most of our students do licensing deals, and they don't even know how the product's exactly made, and it's fine. But for some products, it's really important. So you're going to describe the manufacturing method and what piece of it is different. You know, that requires a, a good deal of work, but it can really strengthen your provisional patent. Now, for all of you listening, am I saying that everybody needs a method of manufacturing in the provisional patent? Most of the time, not. And you're just explaining what the product is and what the point of difference is and what the benefit, functionality, utility of the, the product is is enough. But those are great questions, Saeed. Um, Joseph says, how much product development is reasonable after a PPA and contacting companies? My prototype will need adjustments, but proves the point. Is it reasonable to expect companies to help with the final design? Yes. The vast majority of the time, uh, the licensee, the company that's going to be licensing your idea, will, will take it from there. So, but it varies tremendously by product. So they might need to cobble together a prototype to play around with it, to further test if it's gonna work. They may need to put something together, a production ready prototype to figure out if the way they envision it working is going to be cost effective and gonna be, be functional. So it's gonna vary tremendously. And a lot of times our students, they just do a sell sheet with a virtual prototype. And they're like, do you look at it and go, well, yeah, that, that, I, that's going to work. I just made this change. And you can actually tell them that. Well, there's this and this, and I made this change, and now that's up to you. And they're like, okay, we're going to get some drawings off to Chinese manufacturer or maybe American manufacturer. Quite often it's a Chinese manufacturer. And they're going to give us some pricing because they're concerned if it can be made at a reasonable price. You might provide them with those drawings. They might be like, no, nah, no, nah, we got it. Pretty straightforward. It's going to vary tremendously with that. So 
it could go from, oh, yeah, we see what you're doing there. We got it from here to, oh, we want some CAD drawings. We want you to provide those to us. But now you get, you don't have, have to have them before. And you're like, okay, I'll get those off to you in a couple of weeks. And, but you can kind of try to put it off. Well, can, can you guys do that? You know, it's pretty straightforward. It's like this other product and you're just changing this one piece and like, oh yeah, we got it. So it varies tremendously um, depending on the product. But the main thing that you need to know is it's okay to go fishing, see what the interest level is and then do that stuff later. A lot of people have this impression that they're gonna run for, oh, you don't have this production ready, uh, beautiful prototype and had all the manufacturing figured out. Oh God, why'd you bother us? We're so upset with you. They, they don't freaking do that. It's once in a blue moon that they would say anything like that. So you kind of get on the phone with them and you talk with them and you figure things out. And sometimes they will put it back on you. And it shows a little lack of interest a little bit, but they might just be really busy. And you're like, okay, you know, I could tell you've spent, you did two phone calls with me, a bunch of emails. I can tell you're sincerely interested. Um, and okay, I'll do that and you'll get something done. It might cost you a few bucks, might not cost you anything. You could just give them the information they need. Um, other times they'll be like, oh no, we'll handle that. Yeah, we can, our designers can do that. So it's gonna vary tremendously. Um, that was a great question from Joseph. Uh, Jake said, thank you, that was well said. What did I answer for you, Jake? I didn't even show that I answered your question, Jake. Oh, well, you're welcome anyway. Um, oh, okay, maybe that was with regards to somebody else's question. Um, Jim says, any thoughts on the current most responsive industry to licensing? I've heard the toy market previously, but that is, but is that current? Thanks for doing this, appreciate you. Well, you know, toys, yes and no. So they really like new ideas, they need lots of ideas but they only license a small fraction of what they see. So you could say that they're open to ideas, but what percentage of ideas with what they get do they license? I would say it's way, way lower than in other industries compared to the number they get, but they're very open to ideas. So um, I, I don't think there's one industry, you know, that, that is, that I would say do that industry. There are, you can kind of tell by looking at industries. So, there's some industries you look at and you're like, geez, it doesn't look like anybody's doing anything new in like 10 years. And so what's happening there is the companies, maybe there's a few dominant companies, maybe they're just stale. And so it's called a sleeping dinosaur. So you could go in there and maybe there's not a lot of inventors inventing in a sleeping design dinosaur industry. And you could go in there and show them a new idea, but maybe there's a reason, maybe the companies are stale and they're like, we don't get a lot of ideas and they see your idea and they think it's genius. And they're like, oh, well, maybe we'll move forward with this. So the positive side in the sleeping dinosaur industry, we don't see a lot of change in a really long time, is that maybe they aren't getting a lot of ideas and you come in there and they're like, wow, you're so creative. And you're like, geez, that was like not a big change. And they think it's such a great innovative change. Now, at the same time, if you haven't seen anybody make any changes in 10 years, maybe it's because they're slow and they're a bunch of putty-duddies and they're just not really making any changes and it's going to be like twisting arms to get them to change, you know? Um, but you can see certain industries like, like, like kitchen, you know, or home storage organization. There's just always new products coming out with, with kitchen gadgets and stuff, especially with COVID. So more people are cooking at home and, 
you know, and that's been a hot category for a long time. They always need new products. Um, so you could license in a sleeping dinosaur where they don't get a lot of ideas. You got to twist their arm a little bit to make a change because you're not seeing a lot of change. And But you could still license there. And you could license in kitchen where they're constantly coming out with new products. Um, and they constantly need new products. And they were used to receiving a lot of ideas. And there's more competition. Now, in toys, they want a lot of ideas, but they license very few. So, you know, it's they're very open, but they're 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 also kind of a little jaded because they're like, oh, I've seen everything. Oh, we've seen like I, I talked to this one guy um, and he runs a board game company. He's like he's like, if I see another version of Chinese checkers from an inventor, I'm going to shoot myself in the head. So he's in that industry. He's like people are always coming up with Chinese checkers variations. And he's like, I don't want another version of Chinese checkers. And you wouldn't know that unless you submitted. Um, but so there is no right and wrong. Um, what, what Jim is saying, who's most responsive? Well, if you're in an industry that's a dinosaur, they're not very responsive, but you know, have very little competition with other people submitting, that could still be great. If you're in an industry where they're very responsive, well, you got all these other inventors to compete with. I don't think... Here's the thing with InventRight students. I don't think other inventors are much competition because what companies tell us is consistently they can see the difference between an InventRight student and a regular inventor. So when they know, most of the time they don't know you're an InventRight student because you don't put that in your email, you don't put it in your sell sheet. But when, when we have certain companies that we send in our inventors to and they mention it, they're like, oh my God, like the sell sheets are better. The inventor figured it knows our product line. They, this is an, we may or may not be interested in this product, but it's appropriate for our line. You know, you didn't send me something that's like, why are they even sending this to me? Inventors will send terrible sell sheets, not our students. Um, they'll send it to the wrong companies, not our students. And they won't be whiny with the emails. They won't send book long emails. They won't say crazy stuff. And other inventors do. So when it's not that you need, to submit in an industry where they're super open, you know, and I think this perception that you need to only submit to companies that are just, oh, we're just so friendly. If they're in the retailers where you want to be, just reach out to them and they may say, no, we're not open to ideas. Okay, fine. Big deal. But this perception that every company you approach needs to say, yes, we're so open is crap. It's absolute crap and it's amateur hour. So what if you approach 30 companies for this product and they're all in major retailers where you want to be and four out of those 30 said no we're not open to ideas well fine so what so you mark them off so this perception that you need to know that they're not going to tell you no we're not open to ideas is the wrong perception um, the perception that you need to have a name is garbage you know if they're in a major retailer where you want to be you should reach out to them um, so you, they don't need to be as super responsive, but yeah. So give some examples. Yeah, toys are super responsive. Kitchen gadgets, home storage organization, a lot of categories like that are, are super responsive. But there's also a lot of other inventors submitting in that area. The sleeping dinosaur may might not be responsive, but you might not have much competition. But what I'm saying is most other inventors, compared to invent right students, aren't competition because the marketing manager sees the sell sheet. And looks at it and goes, well, this is, I got it right away. Other inventors, long rambling emails, terrible sell sheets, terrible videos. 
And they also look at, well, oh, you know, I, yeah, this fits in with our product line. I'm not interested in this one, but wow, this person's professional. So when the inventor says, hey, you know, I know you're not interested in this one. Are you open to more? And the market manager, sure, you can send me stuff anytime. Just email it to me. You don't even need to call me anymore, you know, um, where they're not saying that to other inventors. So I find that other inventors really aren't competition for our students because our students stand out and they're the inventors that the marketing managers want to receive more and more ideas. Because once you make that contact, you can just send them an email again next time you get a new product. You know, um, so sorry for a long ramble there, but hopefully that was helpful, uh, Jim. Um, you're welcome also for doing these. Um, okay, so Damien said, hi, I spoke with you several months ago. I was working with a company then on contingency for a licensing opportunity. They went nowhere, but I've renewed my PPA twice. Where should I start again? I would just start approaching companies to license it. So I want to warn you guys, these invention promotion companies, what they'll do, a lot of them, and I don't know if this is the case with you, Damien, but they'll ask you for 10 or 12 grand. Oh, you don't have to do anything. Hey, we'll do everything for you. You know, it's a great idea. It could be anything. You could, see, you could have a lump of coal. Say, I want to license my lump of coal, and they would tell you it's great. And they'll typically ask for 10 or 12 grand. And the Federal Trade Commission warns against these invention promotion companies. And then on top of it, it's a, it's a sales ploy. Oh, we want 25% of your invention. We want 10%. We want 15%. Well, they couldn't license their way out of a paper bag. So, but they, they, it makes the inventor believe that they're really into your idea. When they, what they really want is your 10 or 12 grand out the door, and they'll just pretend to work on your idea for a year. And they're saying they want 25% of the license, but they're not making any effort to license your product. So be, be wary of that. There's, that's a, a ploy that I've seen. I've seen a lot of inventors get taken by that. Oh, but they believe in me. They'll give me 25%. They want 25%. And that inventor is like upset that the company wants 25% plus the 10 or 12 grand. I'm like, why don't you Google that company? You'll see like pages and complaints about that company. Um, it doesn't matter what percentage they want. You should do your research and you'd be surprised how few inventors do their research. So anyway, Damien, it looks like was working in the company, went nowhere. You need to be in charge of your project. You know what's going on if you're the one reaching out, right? If you're reaching out, you know if companies are saying no and, no, but we'll look at more and, oh, I'll give you some feedback. We don't like this. We don't like, oh, well, if I change that, can I resubmit? So, um, you know, my advice, Damien, is for you to reach out directly. Um, and if you haven't made a public disclosure of your invention, just privately showed it for license, you can keep refiling that PPA. You won't get your original date from your original PPA. If you filed it again today, you get a year from today. So go ahead and refile that PPA. It's not legal advice. Seek the service of an attorney. Uh, before you move forward in anything, but um, you could refile that PPA, providing you haven't made a public disclosure. Um, so start moving forward, Damien. Don't ask other people to do it for you. They just won't do it. I've never met an inventor in 20 years that had an invention promotion company license their product. But every single day, we talk to an inventor who's been taken for 10 or 12 grand by a company that said they were going to do it for them. Um, it's, it's crazy. Uh, okay. And they don't steal their idea. They just take your money, by the way. Let's see. 
Mari says, can I have someone at InventRight review my PPA for a few question mark, or would that be only for students? Um, we, we are going to be offering a service and working with a patent attorney where we will review a provisional patent if you write it with our smart IP software. So um, if you, Mari, if you purchase our smart IP software, I can send you an attorney that has agreed to review provisional patents that were written with our smart IP software, and that would save you some money. So you can definitely do that if you don't have the confidence to do it on your own. I find that most of our students are able to do a PPA just fine on their own, but some people just they worry about it. So then you can have an attorney. Most attorneys won't want to review a PPA you've written by yourself because they want to make a bunch of money on you writing it themselves. Um, but I know of an attorney that will do that if you use our smart IP because they, they've looked at what our students have done with the smart IP software and they're like, wow, these are really good. Yeah, I can give a lower price because it's so well done. Um, and that's something new that we're doing. So um, just reach out to me, Andrew and Eventrite, but use smart IP to do it first and just tell me that I said that to you and I'll send you to that attorney. Um, this is interesting. Uh, Rip Shadow Z, what's the best brainstorming exercise that I can do? Uh, the best brainstorming exercise you can do is no brainstorming exercise at all. If you're talking about to come up with product ideas, it's to get on Google Images and study a micro category first. That's the best way to invent. So you wouldn't study all the barbecue products because that would be overwhelming. You could take a look at for maybe 40, 45 minutes. Like let's say you're fascinated by barbecue, okay? You could look at all the barbecue accessories on Google Images for about 45 minutes, maybe on Amazon as well. And you're looking now for a micro category. So a micro category from barbecue accessories would be barbecue spatulas, right? And so then you spend two to four or five hours studying barbecue spatulas on Amazon and Google Images. Google Images being my favorite. No invention. You study all the barbecue spatulas, you look at the price points, you look at the benefits, you look at their marketing, you look at the features, the materials, all that stuff. Try not to invent. Take all that in, bookmark it, write it down. Think about these things that most inventors don't think about. And then invent. Now, you're probably exhausted. You've been doing that for four hours. You're exhausted. You bookmark all that stuff. It might come to you in the shower. It might come to you driving. You come back to your computer. You look at all your bookmarks. You put your feet up on the desk. You're like, huh, what is these over here and these over here? Or maybe I could do a variation of this. And a lot of times it could be a variation of like these eight barbecue spatulas that are like this are selling really well. I'm going to do a slight variation because you know there's a market for it. It doesn't need to be dramatically different. Sometimes just slight changes on trends that you see are good enough. Maybe it's very different. But most inventors don't invent that way. They just randomly come up with ideas. So the best way to brainstorm is to study a microcategory first and then brainstorm. And that what that prevents you from doing is inventing stuff that already exists. You know the category. You know everything. Then you invent. Most inventors don't do that. Don't worry if you don't do that. But for your next idea, guys, I highly recommend doing that. Very few inventors do that. Almost none. Um, let's see. Somebody's. 
Okay. Uh, let's see what else we got here. That was Mari. So, no, no, that wasn't Mari. That was Rip Shadow Z. So, Tommy says, when sending an email, what do you put on the subject line? Do you put your product name or your one-line benefit statement? Um, we have templates that we give our students, but I, I, would, I would put product available for licensing, or I would put, um, maybe you, you, you grab their attention with something that's in their product line, you know, um, uh, good match for your XYZ product line. And something where you put the name of their company or brand, their brand or product liner in there, uh, uh, invention for your such and such product line. There's so many ways you could do that. Um, but Tommy's saying, do you put your product name or your one line? It really depends. Um, um, it's kind of generic to say product available for licensing. Um, so do something that with regards to their company that kind of shows that you know them, right? That, that would always be good. Um, let's see. Richard says, I took on an, agree an agent to make contacts, introduce the idea to companies, but I'm not sure that was the right thing to do. It's been eight months. Should I continue to wait or did I mess up? Uh, Richard, I, I can just tell you, I've never, I know you guys are thinking this is weird, but I've never met an inventor that had an agent or invention promotion when he licensed the product for them. But I talk to people that get taken for large sums of money every single day. So in a generic way, I don't know the company you're working with. I would say, yes, that's a mistake. I just don't see it working. It just doesn't work. Um, so in a generic way, I don't, I'm not saying anything about the company you're working with because I have no idea who they are. So I'm speaking generically. Um, Jeff says, licensability of taking an existing product and repurposing it, it would only need a change of packaging and simple instructions. You know, I, 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 that's interesting. So if, sometimes you take a product and you're going to use it in a different industry or product category. Now, Jeff's saying you would only need to change the packaging and the instructions. So I can't specifically talk about it without knowing your invention. But it sounds very viable, Jeff. I mean, you're saying you just took the product and you're repurposing it. So, But when you do that, always think about like, okay, what are the problems with taking it from here and moving it over to here and anticipate those potential problems? And there's almost always going to be some sort of little issue. And that's what you want to get your provisional patent on. How is it different in using it in toys and now I'm using it in kitchen? You know, I mean, it's an extreme example. There's almost always some problem with moving it here over to somewhere else. And look for problems, great, because then you can come up with solutions. And that's not only you're making the product better, more importantly, always first, from a marketing perspective, how it's better, and then you patent that. Because patenting stuff just for the sake of patenting is just useless. You only want to patent what makes the product better, okay, and makes it more marketable. So almost always, Jeff, when you take something from here and put it over here, there's some little improvement, and you can hang your 
your patent hat on with another with a provisional patent. So a lot of times it's very viable, Jeff. Um, let's see. Joel says, like how engineers work bringing together many different industries, can I patent the combination of multiple technologies into one system? Yeah, quite often you can. But again, Joel, without knowing the specifics of, of your invention, I can't answer it specifically, but that's very common. Yeah. Um, let's see. Joseph says, thanks so much. You're welcome, Joseph. Uh, okay, I want to make sure my mic is good so you guys can hear me. Um, I'm going to get a new mic next week. I'm getting a fancy arm with a, my big snowball mic. So, But I think this mic's pretty good. If you guys give me some feedback saying mic's just okay or sounds great, that would be great. I'll take a look at those before I close it out. Um, just a few of you is fine. Um, uh, and, and Nita, if you pitch your product to DRTV, do you need a physical prototype? If I do, but it's not fine-tuned, will they use the version to perform the survey to gather marketability and feedback? Yeah, quite often they will. Um, DRTV likes to see prototypes. It depends on the company. But could they use just the sell sheet to get a prototype with the survey? I know All-Star does that. Yes, they can. Um, but, you know, you should kind of, like, think about how they're going to make it when they have questions. Go, oh, yeah, you know, you kind of make, make assumptions that they can make it and make it at a reasonable price. So you can definitely go out on a limb and send them the marketing piece, see if they're intrigued. And then they might come back to you a little bit more dear to you and go, well, I want you to make a prototype. I want something more. Or I want you to show a better sell sheet or a better video sell sheet so we can use that to do some testing. Um, but yeah, it's going to depend on the company is the answer, Anita. Uh, that's interesting. Oliver says, do you think it's better to pretend to be a team, two or three members, or only be one inventor alone when you contact companies? I really don't think they care. I really don't. You don't need to create this big perception of a large company. I think, you know, to be professional, your email shouldn't be happy beach at hotmail. Okay. So your name is Oliver Redden. So Oliver Redden designs at Gmail. That's your email address. Your company name is Oliver Redden designs in most States. If you use your full surname, that's your first name and your last name. You don't need to file a fictitious business name statement, consult an attorney before you make any decisions there. But so in your email signature, Oliver Redden designs product developer, Oliver Redden designs at Gmail, you're good to go. And you're be looking professional. If you give a phone number, it's not to a voicemail on your cell with your kids screaming. It's saying, hey, this is Oliver Redden. You won't say, hey. But this is Oliver Redden with Oliver Redden Designs. Um, please leave a voicemail to the beep, and I'll make sure to get back to you promptly. And your friends and family, you're saying your full name. They'll know it's you. And they go, oh, that's cool. You're working on your invention. So be professional. Um, you don't need to give them this, this uh, appearance that you have to create fake people in a fake company. Just be real. They really don't care. Um, Great question, Oliver. David, when creating sell sheets and product videos, do you agree that, that there is also an importance in showing different ways and means 
of the application of your product in addition to the utility. Um, I don't really know what you mean there, David. You really have to pick the one version of your product to show. You can't show five versions of it and they're like, which one is it? You gotta pick, put your best foot forward. If they say no and they have concerns and one of your other designs addresses their concern, well then go ahead and go, hey, no, no, I addressed that. Um, but you can't show five different versions and just confuse the heck out of them because they're gonna give you six to 10 seconds, that's it. And that's just confusing when you show five different versions. So you, you have to put your best foot forward and pick the best version. And sometimes you're like, oh, but they're all good. Well, you gotta pick. Um, so Jim says, great, I have a few kitchen items I can pursue. Okay, great, Jim, that's great. So it's, a, it's a nice, friendly place to get started um, in kitchen, definitely. Uh, Joel says, is there a workflow process or software that is commonly used for drawing patents? Um, with the provisional patent application, Joel, you do not need, so when you do a patent, patent drawings need to comply with very specific regulations. You have to find a professional patent drawer to do those. With a provisional patent, they do not. One of the fun things that we advise our students to do is you can file a provisional patent application and you do a good job and you find somebody to do the line drawings. They, they kind of look like patent drawings because they look, you know, line drawings look like uh, patent drawings, right? And so with a provisional patent, you, you don't want to have to pay a professional patent drawer to do patent drawings for your provisional because it can be very expensive. So you can find any artist or yourself to do line drawings. If you have an engineering background, you can usually do line drawings that look like patent drawings. So when the marketing guy looks at it, oh, this looks nice. So we highly advise our students to get line drawings done, but they don't need to be done by a professional patent um, uh, illustrator. So they, you don't have to pay all the extra money, but it has the professional appearance. And we do not advise our students ever to file their own patent your own provisional, yes, but your own patent is not necessary. So you don't need to use special software. Um, there are soft, There is software that can convert a picture into a line drawing. I don't know if it'll look that good, Joel. You could look into that. Um, but usually you could find a, a contractor somewhere to do some line drawings for you very affordably. We do them for our students through our design studio. You can do it through our design studio too. Um, but so that says my thoughts on that. Uh, Frankie says, thank you for your work, Andrew. If my invention is a coffee maker related with some innovations, you think that I will not have any problems with my PPA? I can't say that. Um, it sounds pretty simple. I mean, so you're you got to think about what is different about your coffee maker that you, you just need to get the PPA on those changes. You know, so you need to understand everything about coffee makers, but if it's the filter mechanism or this or that, you need to address those things. So as long as you can address those things in a decent way, I think you're perfectly capable of filing a PPA. Um, we have students that don't even have a GED and they're able to use our software, smart IP software to file a PPA. So 
Um, not really worried about that. I think you can do that just fine. Uh, that was Frankie. Um, Mel uh, Melanie says, any ideas on how to license within the tech industry? I have an idea that includes two to three tech platforms. What do you suggest in terms of protecting ideas while trying to engage tech companies? I, it depends on what type of product you have, Melanie. Um, you know, when people say, oh, I want a license to Google and Apple, I'm like, just shoot yourself in the head right now. Um, but there's a lot of tech companies that aren't as big in Google, as Google and Apple, and you can do that sort of deal. Um, if you don't have any tech background and you're trying to do a tech product, I don't know if you mean by tech, I mean like um, dot coms and stuff like that, uh, it's, it's tough. Um, you know, with, with, here's the deal with, um, tech with the, I get, I don't really know what you mean by tech industry. I don't know if you're talking about Silicon Valley, like the Facebooks of the world, Google apples of the world. So it, I can't possibly answer your question specifically. So I'll answer it kind of generically. When you license, the whole point is to tap into what's already there. So if they distribute in a certain way, don't expect them to distribute differently. So you have to look at their distribution and go, oh, this would be a great addition to their existing products. Don't ask them to make products completely that they're not making and to markets they don't even sell to and the distribution channels they don't sell to. Like I'll give you a simplistic example. I had a student and they were like, oh, no, no, no. Every one of these products needs to be monogrammed. And I'm like, okay, the companies that sell in this space, they sell to Walmart hundreds of thousands of units. And you're going to insist that they monogram each one individually and sell it from their website ain't going to happen. So that's not what they do. They don't sell individual monogram. They mass manufacture and sell. It's just a weird example. But so expect them to do what they already do. If they sell cheap products, they're going to sell a cheap product. If they sell super high end products, super high end. If they sell medium range products, medium range. If they sell in big box stores, they're going to sell in big box stores. If they sell just to in industry, through industrial channels, that's what they're going to do. They're going to do whatever the frick they do now, and you're going to plug your product into that, and you've got to find the right potential licensees, okay? So they're not going to do anything dramatically different. So with regards to that, with regards to the dot-coms and the tech, you don't say, oh, you should start this whole new type of Facebook thing. No, but if you can tap into, like if, if there were companies selling Facebook apps or giving them away and there was advertising, and you could license to those companies, you know. But to say you got to start this whole new business, that's not licensing. You got to figure out how can I identify companies that tap into their existing distribution. And quite often people don't understand how to do that. We coach people and guide people, and they're like, I don't know. And we're like, oh, there'd be a bunch over here. Here's, here's where you target. So um, tech companies are harder to license to. But you need to get deep into your project, Melanie, to answer that specifically. Because I don't know if you mean hardware or software or an online solution. I don't know what the word tech means. Um, so, but hopefully it was a decent answer that give, gave a generic response everybody can benefit from. Um, I got to drink some water here, guys. All right. Any ideas on how to, okay, we got that one. Josh, what happens after, we answered this one last time, guys. What, what happens after the five-year 
licensing deal, will I still be able to receive royalties and expand license agreement? God damn, we got this like every week for like three weeks. But, you know, Josh, maybe you weren't on last week. So perfectly good question. Um, you know, usually it'll, it'll say that they have the right to continue to renew it year by year, providing they meet the minimum guarantees and the other criteria of the contract. If they were smart, they would insist on that. It's amazing how many companies you've got them over a barrel after three or five years, and it doesn't specify. In that case, you could get them over the barrel and you could ask for more. But I don't suggest really doing that to them because they're doing a great job. You know, you'll figure it out at three or five years. But most of the time, if they're smart, they will insist on the same terms ongoing year to year, providing that they're meeting the sales criteria you set up. You know, and they'll and you'll want them to do that. If they're doing great, you want to continue to renew the licensing agreement year by year. So um, and but you're in a huge at a huge advantage because now they're committed to it financially. They've got the tooling, they got the distribution, it's selling well. So that's a great position for you. It's not like if the contract dies after five years, you're gonna, well, screw you, I'm not gonna pay you anymore. It's not gonna happen because you know you got your intellectual property and what you want to do is keep on top of them. Always be giving them a new version so they can keep on top of it. That's the one thing you need to do as an inventor is think about what's the next version of this and then file a provisional and show it to them. Hey, you know, we're selling for eight years and I want to keep you guys on top of the market, but I think this is going to be the next wave. Like here's a brand extension. Here's the new version of the product. That's the type of thing you want to keep going back to them. And then you can renegotiate the contract too with that extension or what have you. Um, always look for extensions to extend that product out. So maybe you license a second or third product that works with the first, or it's just a new version of the same product so it keeps them on top so somebody else doesn't think about think of it. You know? um, Zavia, I write books and it's known in the industry that publishers will reject an average of 90% of the submissions. I look at the same way or close will there be a lot of rejection oh god the book industry is brutal i wouldn't say 90 percent for the book industry i'd say 99 percent um i don't think this is as rejection heavy as the book industry at all um and books kind of suck it's really hard to make money with books compared to licensing physical products is way better than books um, publishers treat you terribly. Most of them will sell 5,000 units and then they'll never republish again and, they, and you don't have the right to republish it. Uh, what we've done is we, we licensed our first book, One Simple Idea. We'll never do that again. We'll always self-publish. So, um, but licensing books and licensing physical products, two very different things. Um, a lot of stuff we teach is could apply to licensing books, but um, I think you're in a much better place, Zavia, to license physical products than books. It's easier. But you'll still get a bunch of rejection. Um, but you won't need to do as much work either. And you'll be they'll be held to be accountable as a licensee and deliver. Uh, most book publishing contracts, you know, they sell 5,000 units and then they could just sit on it. And you don't have the right to republish it. You'll get it back when you... Um, license physical product if they don't perform. So I think you're in a much better position with licensing physical products than licensing books. Um, uh, Charles says, thank you for your potentially life-changing and time-saving expertise. You're, you're welcome, Charles. Thank you. Um, 
Uh, Arturo, I have an idea. What are the next basic steps? It's in the tool industry. So that's a very broad question, Arturo. I don't know where you are or what you've done, but I'll start you off with the very beginning that most inventors don't do. Study the micro category of your idea. So let's say you have a, um, a screwdriver. You should know every freaking screwdriver out there. And most inventors don't do that. You need to get onto Google Images and to get onto Amazon, Google Images for the most part. Google Images, not regular Google. And you need to know everything that is out there. And your goal is not to look and go, well, that sucks, that sucks. Mine's better than that, mine's better than that. And to just try to prove your product doesn't exist. That's amateur hour. You need to look at all the pro oh, okay, that makes sense there, that makes sense over there. You know, it's just super cheap and that's super high end. You need to acknowledge all these other products. They don't all suck, and yours isn't better than all of them. That's not your mindset. Your mindset is to understand all these other products and see where your product fits in. That's your first step, Arturo. Most inventors don't do that. So do that first. Charles says, in helpful peace of mind advice. You're welcome, Charles. Uh, Jim says, thank you so much. Very helpful. You're welcome, Jim. Jones, great info. Thank you, Jones. Page up too quick, and then I lose my space. Uh, okay, Time Lizard says, should I enroll to be a student before having... My prototype finished. My mom is getting restless. Okay. You're helping your mom? I'm not sure. Um, we have a lot of families that work on projects together. That can be kind of, kind of fun. Uh, yeah, you know, you're not selling your prototype and you're not selling your patent. You're selling the benefit of your product. So most of our students can get away with a sell sheet and a virtual prototype. And so in that case, we could do, you could sign up with our coaching program and we can do the virtual prototype for you. And in that case, you don't need a prototype. But it really depends on the, on the product. The vast majority of our students do not need a prototype, but some do. So I would, you know, I, I, I would move forward and probably go ahead and sign up um, because most of the time it's not necessary. Because, again, this perception that, oh, you don't have a prototype. Oh, God, we're so upset with you. Why would you waste your time? I think there's this perception that companies are going to say things like that, and they just don't. You know, what you're selling is the benefit of your product. And when you do a marketing piece and you relay that nicely, you intrigue them and you get on the phone with them and you talk about the product. You don't talk about the prototype. You talk about the product. And then – they see that you're serious. You see that they're serious because they took the time to talk to you on the phone. And if they're lazy about it and they don't want to do it, well, then they can put it on you. So I, I would say the vast majority of the time it's not necessary. Um, yeah. Let's see. Charles says, inventor mode, then presenter mode. Stay open to changes. Just try to ma master both modes. Great, great uh, suggestion, Charles. A lot of the inventing is done after you submitted the product, you're getting some feedback. You know, let, let me think on that. Let me get back to you on that. And you come up with some suggestions on like a, a thing or two they didn't like. It's very dynamic. So Charles, I can tell, has been listening to us for a while. I, I'm giving us credit for that, Charles. I don't know if that's the case, but you're absolutely right. 
Um, Tommy says, I have a game idea when making my sell sheet. Should I put the rules of the game on my sell sheet or should I do that separately? No, you, you want to give, give them something to ask you about. So intrigue them with the marketing in the sell sheet and let them ask for the rules. So give them something to ask for, for when you're doing a game. Show them the benefit because the rules is not a sales tool. That's details. You want to intrigue them with your marketing piece. So they're like, hmm, this looks interesting. Can we send us, can you send us the rules? So I would definitely not send the rules if you're doing a game. And I would let them ask you for it. Great. Now i got a fish on the hook. Uh, MK Josh 21, what will the company ask you for or need when they're interested or they like your product? You know, so it doesn't matter what they ask you for. No matter what they ask you for, you don't give it to them. You first, I'm not saying you don't at all, but you get on the phone and you talk to them. Now, most of our students aren't comfortable with that up front, but we always tell them they have to do it. We always prep them for the call. So if there's some emails or there's a prior phone call, we'll prep them for the call. Well, we want you to push the deal forward by focusing on these things. You know they're going to ask you that question at email. Here's how you're going to answer it. And we make the student more comfortable with talking to the company. You're more responsible for moving that deal forward than they are. They won't go, oh, here's our formal process. We're going to do this and this and this. This is what we do with inventors. They will never freaking do that. Now, some companies that work with a lot of inventors, they will have somewhat of a process. And then you can go, what's the next steps? And they'll tell you. Most of the time, that's not the case. You're putting them through your process. They're not putting you through their process. So, for instance, a lot of time they'll ask you for a patent prototype. Would I ever give it to them? Not ever, ever. So it's not that you don't want them to see your patent or your provisional patent. It's that it doesn't move the deal forward. And literally half the time they email, they don't always email this, but when they do, send me your patent and prototype. And you're like, oh, I have a few questions for you. Can we get on the phone? Can we talk? And then you get on the phone. They don't ask you for either of those because they just didn't know how to start the conversation. You know, I'm not saying that's all the time, but so that they still push for it. But great. You want them to realize you're a person. You want to get on the phone. You want to talk with them. You want to get them to commit time-wise to talk to you for 10 minutes. Anybody can drop a freaking email back to you and say, send me your patent prototypes. No effort for them, but it takes tremendous effort for you. And it's not going to move the deal forward. And I get inventors that are like, well, now i got to get a prototype. And it's like, no, you don't. Well, who said that? Because they asked me for it. Well, Maybe they just didn't know what else to say. And that's not what you're selling. You're selling the benefit of your product. So talk about the product. Most inventors don't do this. They make a lot of mistakes. So, um, yeah, so get on the phone, definitely. But if you don't know how to handle that, it's tricky. Um, uh, let's see. I've lost track here. Let me give everybody a chance. Okay. I'm going to start to go through some of these because some of these are repeats and I want to get to new people. I haven't answered a question from. Uh, okay. Yeah, Charles says the mic's good, but a little bit roomy sounding. So when I get my mic next week, hopefully it'll be a little bit better. Um, but it sounds like you're saying it's good enough. Uh, 
So Keaton said, hi, I'm currently looking for someone on Fiverr to do a 3D model of my idea. How should I write the NDA? And am I able to email you my idea so I can figure out what keywords to use during a patent search? Um, yeah, if you're a student of ours, Keaton, you can do that, but you need to be a coaching student of ours because you need to review the product, understand the product, then advise you. I can't, we can't do that for free, of course. Um, on Fiverr, so many of our students were upset at vendors on Fiverr because they're overseas, they're individuals, their English isn't good, a lot of them are working pretty cheap, um, that that's why we started our own design studio. Some people with us, our design studio will do the graphic design work for you so you don't have to depend on somebody from India or somebody like that. Um, but you've got to be very careful with Fiverr. By default, it used to be that they had the right to publicly show your product as part of their work unless you've checked this box that said they didn't. So I'd make sure to check. I don't know what it currently is. And if they resist on signing an agreement that says you own any improvements, it's basically an NDA with an improvements clause that I wouldn't work with them. Now, some of them, they're not used to getting that or getting asked for that. And, you know, but make it easy for them. So say, look, I need you to sign this. You can just take a picture with your cell phone and email it to me because a lot of these, they're working. They're like in India. They don't have a scanner because they can't afford one. They're working on some cheap PC, and they might have one that's good enough that can do 3D modeling. So make it easier for them to return your NDA. And if they hesitate, if any vendor ever hesitates to sign your NDA, do not work with them. Part of the reason why they might want to do it is just they're not familiar with it. They don't want to do it. But don't ever work with the vendor. But also, a lot of people really complain a lot about Fiverr. They didn't get it. They don't get it. I went back and forth a bazillion times. Um, but uh, as far as getting our advice on keyword searching and stuff like that, we need to know your product. We need, you need to do one-on-one -on -one coaching to do that. Um, we have a whole new set of patent searching training that we're coming out with really soon for students, too, which is going to be really cool. Um, Tavares, uh, hello, since the corona started, shelves have not been fully stocked on a lot of products dealing with China. Do you believe the slowdown is forever? Um, well, corona has actually been very good for our students and for most product categories in our experience because the marketing managers are actually being more responsive, not less, via email and via LinkedIn. So we're finding that our students are hearing back from marketing managers at companies faster than before because they're paying more attention from their to their email because they're working from home. So in an odd way, it's been very positive. We're finding that we have actually more students than ever in licensing deals. The deals are taking a little longer. We're fine with that. As long as the deals get done, more deals are getting done. They're also taking a little longer to launch the product, but that's fine as well. You know, if you license this giant company and it takes a little longer to negotiate the deal, a little longer for them to launch it, hey, you did a licensing deal. It's all good. So by and large, it's been, oddly enough, a positive thing. Um, uh, also, a lot of these companies, they're, they're still selling volume. They're going a lot more online. They're creating new distribution channels online and doing a lot more online sales. So it doesn't matter if I haven't experienced the shelves being very empty in most product categories anymore. Um, but in some, that might be true. So it's getting better and better all the time. And some product categories, uh, the manufacturers are selling more than ever, including in-store and online. It's like Walmart's been open through the whole thing, you know, and there's some product categories they're selling two or three times what they normally sell. 
So it's not always what people think. But are there some categories where people are struggling or have I seen those? Of course. I mean, let's be real. Um, there's some, but I, I found it's a really good time to license. Um, Melanie said, you're welcome, Melanie. Uh, uh, Jason says, what are the top three most important terms to have a licensing contract? There's a lot of very important things in a licensing contract. And there's too much stuff to go over here. We could, we could do a two-hour session on that. But one of the most important things is uh, minimum guarantees. So if they have to sell a certain minimum amount every quarter, every three months, otherwise you get it back. Um, that's a very important term. There's a bunch of other things too. But I would say that's the one most important thing. But some of these people here is talking about minimum guarantees. And there's a lot more to licensing contracts than just that. But that's, I would say, one of the most common, most important things. Um, hi, Andrew. I have several companies I'm working with, but they are dragging their feet probably since it's a travel product. Fair enough. Otherwise, they are very interested. What are the nice methods to, to prod them along? So what I've found is we're very good at moving the deals along. Like I said, if you expect them to move it forward, they almost never do. I would, I would, to make a point, this is an exact statistic, I think that 80% of the deals that our students do, that our negotiation coach helper students do, if Paul wasn't guiding them to move it along, they wouldn't get closed. Only the most interested companies would move it along enough to close it. When our students constantly kind of nudge them in, in, the, in the direction of, you know, it's not like you're being obnoxious. It's very subtle, but you're guiding the conversation. So, you know, without going into any great detail, what I could say, one thing you can do is to ask them what the next steps are. I don't think that's enough. So what's their next step? So you're getting some quotes in China. Great. What's the next step? When should I check back? Most inventors don't do that. It's very important to do that. Now, here's the weird thing is a lot of times they don't know what the next step is, but if you kind of make them think on it a bit, they can tell you, oh, well, you know, I really need to get this by Sally. If Sally doesn't approve it, it's not, it's not getting a thumbs up. Sometimes they'll tell you that, sometimes they won't. There's other things you need to do, but a lot of inventors will not talk. They'll just go, oh, they'll, they know what the next step is. They'll move it forward. But, you know, and when is the right time to check back? So last thing they need is an inventor checking every two days. That's obnoxious. So, but if you ask them and they're like, well, check back in two weeks. And sometimes it won't work out. It was not like you check back in two weeks and they're like, oh, yeah, we got everything you need because, because we told you two weeks and we got it done on two weeks of the day. No, you check back in two weeks, they still haven't got it done, but it's fine. At least they said, yes, check back in two weeks. But so asking them what's the appropriate time is one thing you can do. I can't cover it all, but that's one thing that you can do. Um, Uh, let's see. Thank you, Charles, for the feedback on my mic. Uh, so Sergio says, will the licensee, that's the company that buys or rents your product, licenses your product, patent my licensed product or do I have to refile the PPA myself every year? So Sergio, the approach that we take with our students was when you file a PPA, 
You're going to see what the interest level is. And if you get interest when you're our student, we will try, we will help you negotiate to have them give you the money as an advance, as an advance on royalties, just straight up. Um, there's a lot of different ways of doing it. And then you give that money to your attorney to file a full utility patent, a full regular patent, and they will reference the provisional patent. You don't want your company doing the deal. The patent always stays in your name. And the licensing agreement is giving them the rights to manufacture and sell the product. So the licensing agreement lays out what the terms are, not the patent. And you don't want them filing the patent. You want them giving you the money for it, but you want to file it. But it all depends on what you can negotiate. So that's uh, a thing that a lot of people are surprised by, and that's how we approach it. Okay, so hopefully that's helpful. And with regards to, yes, if, if you're just privately showing up for a license, and for, here's the thing. When you know how to license like an event rights student does, and you file a provisional patent today, and say next week you start, you will never need the year the provisional gives you. But when inventors don't know how to do it, and they file a PPA, they feel all great, I'll get the warm and fuzzies, I'm protected, but they just sit on their hands for a year. That's when you need to file provisionals over and over and over again. And you can do that, but what's the point? So really, to be level-headed, do it in the right order, you should be filing your provisional patent the week before you're ready to start calling. Now, for 70 bucks, it can give you the warm and fuzzies that you're protected. I don't see anything wrong with that. That's fine. But the provisional patent isn't the first thing you do. It's the last thing you do before you start calling companies. So again, not legal advice. Seek the services of an attorney before doing anything. Uh, we're at 5.07, so we're about seven minutes over, guys. Um, so thank you for all your feedback, guys. All right. Yeah, okay. So I couldn't get to everybody's, but I got to a lot of them. So hopefully you guys felt like it was helpful. I've been giving... Uh, cool. So I've been, I've been getting a lot of feedback. You guys are really appreciating these live Q&As. I love doing them. Um, I kind of don't take a breath. I just kind of go boom, boom, boom. People are telling me they appreciate that. I mean, I could go really slow and be really concerned and try to look really cool. But my, my style is to really help and to really turn those cogs in your brain. And to me, the more questions I can answer in an hour, the more people I can help and the more cogs I can turn in your brain so I can get you guys thinking in addition to watching your YouTube show. So I hope you guys appreciate that. I've been wrapping up a lot of these shows by just saying, you just, you didn't ask to become an inventor. You didn't set out to become an inventor. I've been doing this forever. So I know this is true for most of you. It just happened to you one day. It's this magical thing that happened to you. You started coming up with ideas. And then after a while, different for everybody. Sometimes it's 10 years, sometimes it's two months, sometimes it's two weeks. But it started to become a little bit of a thorn in your side that you weren't doing anything to put the, push these out into the world. And that's what we're all about. So, you know, we can help you be the successful inventor that you want to be, the inventor that actually approached companies, the inventor that actually could make something happen. Because like an artist, if you just paint beautiful artwork or sculpt beautiful things in your garage and you never show it to anybody, you can never get your artwork in museums and in people's houses to enjoy it. It's the same thing with products. You're a product artist. 
if you don't reach out to companies to get your product in the stores, nobody will enjoy them and nobody will ever see them and you won't see them on store shelves. So think about how important this is to you. For some of you, it's really important. For others, you're like, ah, you know, I love coming up with ideas, but I don't really want to make any effort to reach out to companies to do any of this. And then you need to move on to something else. You know, maybe you just need to give it thought. Like three months from now, you're like, oh yeah, I'm ready to do the work. I'm ready to reach out to companies. And hey, if you license, it's their money, it's their workforce, and it's their existing distribution. I don't need to start a business. I can keep my day job. But it's something that you guys need to think about. So if doing these live Q&As are helping you realize that one, you can do this, but two, that you still need to take control of it and do it yourself, doesn't mean you can't get help, can't get our coaching, can't get help making marketing materials, making prototypes, different things like that. But you can, you can get help doing all those things, but that you need to take control of it yourself. Nobody will be as excited about your idea as you, and you're ready to do that, then we're ready to help. And for some people, watch our YouTube show for a year before they decide that. Some people, two weeks. Some people just are continuing a fan, and they're just not ready yet. And you might be ready a year from now. That's perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. But if you're not willing to take charge of it and do these things that you might be uncomfortable with, nothing will happen. And you need to decide where you hit that breaking point. Whether it's just watching these videos and then doing it yourself or getting our coaching, Either way, you need to hit that breaking point where you're going, I'm going to do more than just invent. I'm not just going to throw money at patent attorneys for a, for a patent and throw money at prototypers. I'm going to reach out to freaking companies. I'm going to do this. And you need to be ready to do that. So, you know, and we're here to help. So I'm going to see you next Monday. Um, and I remind everybody to take care and keep inventing. We'll catch you the next time. See you guys. Bye.